Welcome back everyone to Poem Crit 101, your one-stop shop for everything critical care. As always, I'm Dr. J and I've got my co-host Dr. Carol with me today. Welcome everybody. I know today's going to be a little bit different because normally you tell me what we're going to be talking about and today you haven't told me anything. That's because I had a wild case uh, the last time I was on call. Well, let's hear about it. Let's go. So uh, I was on call and I got a um, call from an outside hospital. They were requesting transfer of a patient. Turns out he was a guy, according to them, who had a chronic trach and had inhaled part of his trach. Inhaled part of the trach. I've been scared of them falling out. I don't think I've ever even heard of one falling in. And how does someone even inhale part of their trach? I don't even think that can happen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So anyways, I said, you know, fine, send him over to our ICU. I asked them, you know, what sort of imaging they had already gotten. And they had gotten a chest x-ray and they told me, there was something round that the radiologist had read that they saw in the left mainstem bronchus. So I was like, great, you know, foreign body, got to get it out. So you're thinking it's another tooth like before? I mean, at this rate, who knows? I'm getting pretty comfortable with pulling things out of people's lungs. It right. shouldn't be there. So I'm waiting for the patient. And by 11 p.m. that night, I get a call that he's finally arrived. I make my way into the ICU and it's not a guy who's had a chronic trach and inhaled part of his trach. It's a guy with a laryngectomy who's basically huffing and puffing and in lots of distress. So everyone's worst nightmare at 12 midnight and no one else around. Exactly. Basically a perfect storm. So he was stable enough that I was able to get him down for a CAT scan. And what do you think I found on that CAT scan? I hope not another tooth. So no, it was not another tooth, but what it was, was two round objects, one in each of his main stem bronchi. One in the left, one in the right. Exactly. So not only is it midnight, not only do I have a skeleton crew, but I have two things I need to get out of his lungs. Oh, and uh, let me add, he's like basically breathing in the 40s by this point. Sounds lovely. It, it was, you know, my idea of a perfect day. Initially, I had thought that maybe I could get away with doing the bronch in the morning when I had more of a uh, staff around. But given how he was looking, we decided to go ahead and just get it done. Um, he was awake and alert initially, so he gave his consent for the procedure. Now, as you know, Dr. Carroll, him being a total laryngectomy was already giving me the heebie-jeebies. Um, and I was terrified of what we would do if I lost his airway. Right. And the reason that you're bringing that up is... Because should something go wrong and you lose the airway, since he had his total laryngectomy, you're not going to be able to go in orally. You won't, you'll run into a blind, you know, pouch, so to speak. You can only go through his stoma. Exactly. And if I had to intubate his stoma, there was no guarantee I'd be able to pull those foreign bodies out. I'd have to just let him stabilize. And then at some point in the near future, try to get those things out of him when I could. So uh, before I even got started, I actually got ENT, um, who was on call, to kind of be available in case things went very wrong. And as a learning point for everyone, always, always have a backup plan. And my immediate backup plan was if he went hypoxic or couldn't protect his airway, ET tube goes down that stoma and we just let him stabilize. Right. So I went ahead and gave him the very smallest amount of sedation that I possibly could. And, and I went with a scope. Um, right before I even knew it, I could see two plastic things, including both of his main stem bronchi. And what do you think those two plastic things were? What? They were his, uh, pro uh voice prostheses. Two different voice box pieces? Two different voice prostheses. I mean, I can't even imagine having one down there. This man had two. 
So now that I was stuck with two voice prostheses that I had to get out, I went with what looked like the easier one, which was the left side. And the tools that I had available to me to try to get these uh, foreign bodies out were the cryoprobe and the forceps biopsy. You love the cryoprobe. I do. It is a relationship that is all love, no hate. Um, And for those of you who have not used the cryoprobe, let me give you a little background. I also used it uh, when I got that filling out of that other patient, if any of you have listened to episode one. So the cryoprobe is actually a really cool tool. It's used for uh, an interventional bronchoscopy. And what it is, it's essentially a long, thin probe, and it's attached to a machine that pumps out nitrous oxide. And when you activate it, you do it via foot pedal, um, the probe actually has, it freezes on the end. So anything you attach to that probe um, will freeze to it, and you can actually dislodge it from whatever it's sitting in, in this case, the lung mucosa. One thing you do have to be careful with is that you don't want to start freezing or activate the probe when uh, you are touching lung mucosa because you can cause a lot of bleeding. Not only that, it's difficult to manipulate, as Dr. Carroll knows, he's seen me do it. You got to have one foot on the foot pedal. You got to have one hand on your scope in the right position. Part of that hand has to be holding the cryoprobe because what you're going to do is once you touch the foreign object that you're going after and you activate the probe, you're going to have to pull everything out together with the cryoprobe. So not as easy. And on top of it, at midnight, a little more difficult. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound too fun. So what did you end up doing for him? Did you use the forceps or the cryo? So for the one on the left, which looked to be pretty easy to get to, I went ahead and used the cryoprobe. That one actually didn't take me too long, maybe about 10, 15 minutes to get it out. And once we got it out, let me tell you, it was like Old Faithful in there with the amount of secretions that he had. They were literally shooting straight up in the air, thick, bloody. I think it even got an eye of one of our RTs. Um, It just... That's absolutely disgusting. It it was not fun. Um, Part of why he has so many secretions is because once I cleaned all that stuff out, you could see behind the, where the valve was sitting on the, where the prosthesis was sitting on the left, all of his lung mucosa had become granulated, which tells me that that prosthesis had probably been sitting in there for at least months. Which is crazy to think about. Like until four hours ago, this guy apparently was just hanging out and really didn't have any symptoms, right? Exactly. I... And still amazed that he had gone this long with let alone one, but two uh, prostheses sitting in his lungs and was just living his best life, I guess. Right. So I got the first one out and I was getting all set up to do the second one when he decided it was time to start desatting. So we backed him up uh, through the stoma, got his sats back up to 100%, and back in I went. But I did not give any more sedation. And the reason why I did this was, again, I was worried about uh, losing whatever respiratory uh, drive he had and then, you know, getting myself in a situation where I couldn't stabilize him. Also, I noticed after I pulled out that first prosthesis, um, they were actually pretty big and there is no guarantee that they would have been able to come out through the ET tube if I, that's what I ended up having to do. So I went back in and I took a look at the right and conveniently the one on the right was lodged pretty deep. Um, I tried the cryoprobe, but one thing that is a problem when you're using the cryoprobe is if your patient is not sedated adequately, that thing goes flying all over the place and then you're causing as much harm as you're trying to do good. 
So I tried and I tried and I tried and I just could not get a good grip on the prosthesis. So I finally bit the bullet. And let me tell you, while I'm trying and trying and trying, we're constantly coming out with a scope and having to bag him up again because he's desatting all the way down into the low 80s. So all, all in all, like how long into the procedure are you at now? Um, it's it's definitely like one in the morning by this point. Um, and we're exhausted. We're sweaty because the gowns we're wearing are disgusting. And we just want to get things done at this point. So the way that this prosthesis was lodged and with the lack of sedation, I just wasn't making any headway. So I finally bit the bullet and said to the nurse with me that fine, give him one extra milligram of Versed and everyone pray and hope that that's just enough to get him to calm down so I can get this damn thing out. She gave him one milligram of Versed and I kid you not, all of a sudden it, it almost felt like he had stopped breathing entirely. I even stopped what I was doing and I asked around it, you know, does he have a pulse? And we were good. He had a pulse. It was just that that one milligram hit him the way we needed it to. So I, I got the cryoprobe attached, but it wasn't a good attachment. It was just enough for me to move that valve or that prosthesis out of the mainstem and up into the carina. Then he started to wake up a little bit again, get uncomfortable again. Instead of giving him more sedation, I thought, well, let me try the forceps. So I had, uh, you know, someone thread the forceps through uh, the, bron the bronchoscope and I was able to position the jaws of the forceps perpendicular um, to, the, to the prosthesis itself. And at the right moment, I timed it with how he was breathing. At the right moment, I was able to grab and I pulled. And after what felt like 500 hours, I got the damn thing. Cleaned him up, did a nice little BAL and... He was right as rain. And how do you do for the rest of the night? He did great. I came in the next morning and he was sitting there on room air, writing messages, asking when he could go home. Wow. I, I cannot believe the guy had two different prosthesis in both of his mainstream airways. And you were in there for like two hours pulling these damn things out. It's crazy. I mean, I, so I talked with ENT because, you know, this is kind of their area, you know, laryngectomy and these prostheses. And we were talking about, you know, does this happen commonly? And in fact, to have any sort of aspiration of these prostheses based on the literature view, it's really like 7% of the time they've seen it. And there's actually been no reports of this happening two at a time, like bilateral prostheses in one patient. Wow. The, uh, this was worth the wait, uh, keeping me in the dark. This was a good one. I'm, I'm, I'm jealous that you got to do the procedure. I'm not jealous it happened in the middle of the night and it took as long as it did. But this, this sounds like a very now fun case at the time, probably miserable. It was miserable, but it was, yes, like you said, now it was fun looking back on it. One thing that was interesting that I learned, um, people who get total laryngectomies done, when, when the procedure is done, the surgeon will actually create what's called a tracheoesophageal puncture. And the reason why they do that is to allow the patient to speak because at that puncture site, they'll place this, uh, this uh, speaking prosthesis. And essentially it's a fistula. So really as time goes on, that fistula or that puncture grows and these things can just fall into the airway. So it's actually something that is a rare complication, but is one of the first things you should think about when you do have that patient 
who has a difficult airway and there's a foreign body. Um, this is whether you're in the ER or the ICU, um, just be aware that this sort of thing can happen. Wow. Let alone it can happen twice. And exactly. You don't, you don't know about it until you get down in there. I mean, for God's sakes, people are walking around with fillings in their lungs, speaking valves in their lungs. Who knows what's going to be next? Well, they just come to you to get them taken out. I guess so. All right, guys. Uh, I hope this case was as interesting for you as it was for us. Um, tune in next week, and we'll be talking about some more wild and crazy ICU cases. Thanks for listening.